I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is the Crime Story Podcast with Carrie Antholis, where stories of crime and justice are told. On today's podcast, Sean Smith reads his story, Robert Durst, You Can't Unring the Bell, which you can find in written form at crimestory.com. For a judge, maintaining courtroom control over unruly attorneys can be a daily challenge. According to one retired jurist, some judges have a knack for courtroom control, others do not. The trick, she notes, is to maintain control without holding anyone in contempt. In other words, it's like corralling kindergartners hyped on juice boxes and unbridled joie de vivre without resorting to timeouts. Throw in unpredictable personnel changes as attorneys tag team restlessly through pretrial hearings, and you have a sure recipe for judicial irritability and chaos. Three recent pretrial hearings in the People vs. Robert Durst presented three varying iterations of the attorney pool. The People, Deputy DAs John Lewin, Habib Balian, Eugene Miata, and Ethan Milius, remain constant, but Durst's defense team alternately dropped members due to seasonal illness, Donald Ray, or trial, Chip Lewis. Such are the exigencies of an odyssey of pretrial proceedings that has stretched on since April, in anticipation of a trial that will not begin issuing jury questionnaires until January. There's a good chance opening arguments won't begin until March. The phases may change in The People versus Robert Durst, but the defense's aggressive posturing doesn't. In previous pieces, crime stories spotlighted the unique rhetorical styles and demeanors of Durst defenders Chip Lewis and David Z. Chesnoff. In this recent trio of hearings, however, it was lead counsel Dick DeGuerin who seized center stage. A dapper 78-year-old, DeGuerin matches polished black cowboy boots with country club sports jackets, tortoiseshell eyeglasses, and panache. When he gestures, DeGuerin's jacket sleeve sometimes falls back, unveiling a right wrist busy with bracelets, including a strand of Buddhist prayer beads. DeGuerin exudes Houston High Society circa 2019, well-tailored, worldly, effortlessly au courant. On top of it all, he's a man used to winning and not breaking a sweat while doing so, which renders DeGuerin's barely concealed aggression especially noteworthy. It's day two of the latest pretrial hearing, and defendant Robert Durst is late. Again. Killing time, the assembled attorneys take phone calls and check emails. At one point, Deputy D.A. Lewin gets up and heads for the hallway, cell phone to his ear. He leaves his laptop open, and when he returns and sits, DeGuerin pounces. You have that thing backed up? He asks Lewin, leaning over and pointing to the county-issued laptop. Lewin says, sure he does, in seven different ways. He lifts the device and bangs it on the table, proof that his computer and files are trauma-resistant. DeGuerin nods. 
So then spilling coffee all over it won't work, he sneers, turning away. Durst finally arrives mid-morning. The bailiff alerts Judge Wyndham, and the random activity in Department 81 becomes more patterned, like stray metal filings organizing themselves around a magnetized center. Judge Mark E. Wyndham takes his seat and recognizes the assembled. On any given day, Wyndham projects a preternatural calm. Today, he spikes that with an expression that looks a lot like glee. If it's possible for a presiding judge to lick his or her chops in anticipation of the task ahead, Wyndham's doing just that this morning. At issue is a cluster of evidentiary objections raised by the defense. Having moved and then lost to have Durst's hot mic confession excluded, DeGarren and company are now zeroing in on their client's March 15, 2015 interview with Deputy D.A. Lewin, recorded in the New Orleans Parish Jail after Durst's arrest there. In their moving papers, the defense makes two points. First, that the content and style of Lewin's questions during the interview comprised factual assertions and opinions, such that they amount to unsworn testimony by Lewin. By filling the transcript with qualifiers like I believe and I think, Lewin has made himself part of the evidentiary record, according to Durst's team. They moved the court to exclude large segments of the interview under California's Evidence Code Section 352, which holds that, quote, the court in its discretion may exclude evidence if its probative value is substantially outweighed by the probability that its admission will, A, necessitate undue consumption of time, or B, create substantial danger of undue prejudice, of confusing the issues, or of misleading the jury, end quote. The Durst team's second tranche of objections center on their contention that Lewin's demeanor during the interview and Durst's perception of its context rendered it a, quote, bona fide plea negotiation and thus inadmissible as evidence. Under this Section 1153 argument, the defense claims that, quote, evidence of a plea of guilty later withdrawn or of an offer to plead guilty to the crime charged or to any other crime made by the defendant in a criminal action is inadmissible in any action or in any proceedings of any nature, including proceedings before agencies, commissions, boards, and tribunals, end quote. Wyndham must also consider a third defense motion concerning the Durst team's request to present third-party culpability evidence. These other parties... Durst's attorneys argue, include one, the mafia, organized crime, two, Susan Berman's former manager, Niall Brenner, three, Berman's landlady, D. Baskin Schiffer, and four, any person who may have entered the home as a result of random crime. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Judge Wyndham squares his shoulders and scrutinizes the papers before him. First up, the 352 matter. The defense's objections require the careful redaction of selected segments of Lewin's interrogation, 
the painstaking separation of Durst's admissions from what Wyndham terms, quote, Mr. Lewin's charm offensive. Wyndham vows to wield a scalpel to achieve this dissection. The resulting operation is time-consuming and scholarly, more graduate seminar exegesis than criminal court hurly-burly. At one point, Wyndham notes that a particular conversational ploy of Lewin's is an enthymeme, which is a syllogism in which one of the premises is left unstated to be inferred by the listener. This observation seems to sail over the heads of the defense. Chesnoff has his eyes locked onto his cell phone, and Daguerre's posture reads, preoccupied. Lewin and his team, however, seem to lean into the editorial task at hand, revealing an unexpected attention to detail. Deputy D.A. Balian tracks the agreed-upon redactions, one of which is emblematic of what Judge Wyndham calls Lewin's, quote, reasonable talk with an unreasonable man. Early in the New Orleans interview, Lewin questions Durst about his damning admissions in the jinx. Durst explains to Lewin that he was, quote, on meth the whole time. I was on meth but Lewin's having none of it. Lewin, you seem to be a straight shooter. I assume you'd prefer that I be a straight shooter, not a bullshitter, right? Durst, uh, sure. Lewin, okay, I'm a straight shooter. Durst, yeah. Lewin, what you just told me is bullshit. In accordance with EC 352, is Lewin's assertion probative or prejudicial? The seconds in command rise to present their respective theories. Chesnoff argues that Lewin confronted their client with an inference, that he essentially called Durst a liar, and that they should be allowed to cross-examine Lewin on this point. Balian swats this aside. Durst had been Mirandized, and this was an interview, not a court proceeding. He's only just retaken his seat when Lewin informs Wyndham that he agrees to redact the line in question. Tactically, it's a timely concession, demonstrating not only the people's reasonableness, but also their understanding that Durst's interview admissions are all the more striking when isolated, stripped of Lewin's sometimes meandering Columbo-esque lead-ups. This edit sets off a chain of similar elisions, as the people agree to redactions that in the end only highlight Durst's damning statements. As the people note in their opposition papers, amazingly, defendant does not appear to have reviewed his requested redactions, as in many of them, he appears to have inadvertently kept in the very information he argues should be excluded. Lewin agrees to elision after elision and still looks like the cat that ate the canary. It's late in the day when Deputy D.A. Balian rises to address the defense's contention that Lewin's interview with Durst amounted to a, quote, bona fide plea negotiation and therefore be excluded as evidence under the terms of EC 1153. In contrast to the defense's sometimes colorful behavior, audible sighs, eye rolling, sotto voce snipes, the people project probity and purpose. Balian adds a hint of humility. Soft-spoken, exact in his language, he's like Lewin's relief pitcher. Tactical, technical, brutally efficient. Balian argues there can be no mistake that in New Orleans, Lewin wanted a confession. No case had been filed, therefore any plea negotiations would be premature. Further, a plea negotiation, in order to be bona fide, requires that both parties be fully aware of its intended outcome. Lewin his lieutenant argues, was in New Orleans for a confession and nothing but. Overriding Daguerre's objection that the context of the interview, 
Dursares, the presence of LAPD, and Lewin made its nature perfectly clear. Wyndham rules for the people. Day two of the pretrial hearings is wrapping up, and with one eye on the courtroom clock, Judge Wyndham places a small bell on the bench before him. He's back in kindergarten teacher mode, and it's time to put the crayons away. If there's no other business, he taps the bell with a miniature baton. And with that, Department 81 is adjourned. Defense counsel Donald Ray leaps to his feet. Your Honor, on the record. But Wyndham only smiles. I'm sorry, Mr. Ray, but you can't unring the bell. On day three, Wyndham will also deny the defense's arguments concerning the introduction of third-party culpability evidence. In Durst's trial for the murder of Susan Berman, his recorded confessions will be the primary evidence against him. That was Robert Durst, You Can't Unring the Bell by Sean Smith. For more crime and justice, storytelling news, and narrative analysis, head on over to crimestory.com. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you will come back for the next Crime Story podcast. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.